0: trip uh, being with you guys tonight. Uh, so before we start, I guess one thing is uh, say hi to someone that you haven't said hi to for a while. You can uh, leave, you can go while we'll I adjust this thing. Just not block my face. Yeah. We like your face. Thanks for um, Yes. Is it recording? Yeah, I think so. Just make sure we have a new solution. All right, well, how's everyone's week been? Did you have a good week? That's good. So, you know what's a trip? You know what's really trippy about being here? You know what's really trippy about being here? Uh, Pretty much most of you guys, I don't think I've ever met before. Um, Like about 50%. Yeah, about 50%. I don't think I've ever had a conversation with you before. The rest of the 50%, I'm used to seeing you guys from Sunday school um, and kind of getting uh, slightly avoiding getting hit in the face with a soccer ball um, and sometimes failing and still being trying to avoid you guys as soccer balls. Um, and then the other part of you guys I've known for a while actually, so it's a bit of a mixed bag. This is not my usual, uh, you know, crowd. No. Just for FYI, like your bit of context, so Rana, uh, Tara, a lot of these guys that you know and love, uh, I've, I've been kind of taking them since Sunday school. So um, so yeah, anyway, with that out of the way, let's pray because uh, I'm feeling very awkward now. <laughs> so let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the time that we can spend together. We thank you that you love us, Lord, and that um, you've called us to be here because you want us to be closer to you, Lord. Um, we just put before you the, the time that we have together and we just ask, Lord, that you would speak because we don't want to leave here the same. Jesus, you am pray. Amen. All right. So, tonight... We're going to be talking about... There's a huge gap, guys. Come. Come down the front. Come a little bit closer, at least. Let's go. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it. Awesome. Mattia, come on. Ta. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. So, today, we're going to talk about a, a bit of a weird topic. Uh, missing Jesus. Missing Jesus. Yeah. Good idea. Let's turn off the fan. Uh, Evan, do you want to turn off the fan for us? I don't know how to That's okay. Evan will talk. All right. So, missing Jesus. I'm not sure if you've ever thought about Jesus as someone to miss before. But um, the Bible actually wants to portray Jesus as someone who can be missed. Um, and we're going to look at two stories tonight um, that's going to point that out to us. Um, tell you a story though before we start. I got married to Sarah, my wife, three years ago, um, and I've known her for about about six years. Thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Uh, About six years I've known Sarah, but three of those years we've been married. We're approaching our fourth year of marriage. It's very exciting. Um, And over the course of that period of time, at the beginning, I mean, if any of you guys have been in relationships before, you know how exciting it is when you're first in a relationship. You know, you can't wait to see that person. You, it's almost like you've got a sixth sense that you know that they're about to text you or something, and it's just really wonderful time of relationship. Um, and then, as the years go by, you kind of take each other for granted. You kind of, you know, you'd rather sit on your phone and just scroll through Instagram or, or Facebook or <clears throat> whatever, and you kind of forget that they're there. You kind of forget about, you know, spoiling her and taking her out for a nice, you know, dinner and a movie. And you kind of just, you know, I want to I I play my PlayStation, I want to read my books, I want to, you know, watch this movie or watch this TV show on Netflix. She's not interested, whatever. Just put my headphones in and just, you know, forget her for a bit. And you kind of lose a little bit of the, uh, the spark, the intimacy, uh, intimacy is a word of not just about fireworks and all that, but it's about deep connection, right? Now, this is a normal, natural, I don't want you guys to guilt trip me. This is a normal, natural part of any relationship. But if I didn't uh, change things, if I didn't remember my wife, if I didn't try to make her feel special, if I didn't want to connect with her again and again and, and all that stuff and, and treat her like when we were first going out, there would be something wrong with our marriage. Do you agree? Would you guys agree? Yeah. There would be something wrong. There would be a problem with the connection, right? Um, We do this to Jesus all the time. I'll tell you one more little story, though, before we kind of dive in. Uh, So Sarah's birthday was this week. It was on Thursday. And uh, due to a series of events, I also needed a new laptop. So I got the new laptop the same day that it was her birthday. Now, those of you who have ever... Gotten a new laptop before, especially when you've like had a bunch of stuff on your old laptop and everything. You know how much of a headache it is to, you know, set it up and all this kind of stuff. So, I remember thinking, as I opened up the new laptop and Sarah was coming home late, and uh, I was, you know, I wanted to make it special for her. I remember thinking. You can't touch the laptop. You can't set it up. You've got to focus on your wife. And to be honest with you, it was an absolute joy and a pleasure to do that. Because at the end of the day, she's more important and more wonderful than any new laptop. So, we can sometimes do this with Jesus. We can sometimes look at our relationship with Jesus and say, maybe, you know, it was all fireworks and, you know, amazing times at the beginning. And then all of a sudden it starts to... Uh, get a little bit cold, get a little bit boring, get a little bit by the numbers and just a little bit kind of repetitive. Um, And so we're going to look today at what it means to miss Jesus um, and to fall back in love with Jesus and recognize him for who he is. So I want to let's if you got a Bible with you, if not, it'll be on the screen. Have a look at Luke chapter 2. Both the stories that we're going to be looking at tonight are coming from the book of Luke. Okay. All right. So a bit of setup up before this story. Luke, hands up if you know anything about the gospel of Luke. Who wrote the gospel of Luke? Who wrote the gospel of Luke? Very obvious question. Yeah, who said that? Yes, it was Luke. Well done. So who knows who Luke was? Tell me. Very close. He was, he was a doctor, so he's close to my heart. I love Luke. Um, I'm planning on naming a, a, a boy, if we have a boy, <laughs> Luke, if Sarah will let me. Luke, Luke was also a historian. Luke was one of the first historians uh, who, who, who you know, uh, contributed to the New Testament. And Luke, he even talks about at the beginning of his book, he talks about how he wanted to make an account... And so what he did was he went around to all Jesus' friends and family, and he got their stories. And so all of the book of Luke is literally, all right, all the book of Luke is literally the the collected accounts and stories from uh, Jesus' friends and family. So when we read the book of Luke, think of it as... Someone sitting down with Luke and saying, let me tell you this story about Jesus. Let me tell you about this time that this happened. And so where we're up to in this story it's literally the very beginning. What's happened is that Jesus has just been declared to to Mary. Gabriel has come, the angel, and he's told Mary, you're going to have a boy. And she's like, but I'm not married and I'm a virgin. And then he's like, God is going to give you this baby. God will overshadow uh, overshadow you and, and give you this child. And then what happens is they have the baby, all these random people come and meet with the baby and give him a bunch of presents because a bunch of angels appear to those people. And then we get this weird story, the only story in the whole Bible of Jesus as a boy. The only one you're ever going to read. And this is what we're going to read today. So Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 52. Put yourself in the mindset of Mary and Joseph. These are his parents these are the ones who have already seen all these crazy, miraculous things about Jesus' birth. They know that Jesus is special. They know that Jesus is God's son. Let's have a look at this story together. Let's have a read. So verse 41. Now his parents, Joseph and Mary, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. So, do you guys know about Passover? What's Passover? Someone quickly tell me. John. You nodded your head. Okay, John. just 100%. It is the biggest festival and the oldest festival um, of, all, of all the things that you'll read in the Bible. And in a nutshell, quickly tell you, it was when the Exodus happened, when Moses took the Israelites out of Egypt. And just before they escaped, what happened was God said, all right, you're going to have this Passover, you're going to have this feast, where you're going to sacrifice this lamb, because I'm going to come and I'm going to kill every firstborn child in the whole of, the, of Egypt, where they've been enslaved. And if you don't put the blood of the lamb on your door, then what I'll do, what, what I'll do is I'll, your firstborn children will die. But if you do put the blood of the lamb on your door, I will pass over you and you'll be saved. And then, once you hear the word, go immediately and escape Egypt because they're going to let you go quickly and you're going to have to run quickly. So it was a big, big celebration meal where the Israelites would remember God's deliverance and how he saved the world and saved the Israelites. And so this Joseph and Mary, they go, like any great Jewish people, they go to, uh, um, uh, to Jerusalem for the Passover because that's what good Jews do. And I don't know if you already get it, but the language here is saying they went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And it kind of makes you feel like they're just doing it to do it kind of thing. Well, that's how I read it anyway. They're being very good Christians. They're being very good Jews. They're doing the Passover. They're going to Jerusalem. Would have been a long trip for them to go to Jerusalem. They did it, though, and they took Jesus along. And it's just, they're doing it year by year. I don't know about you, but how many of you, I don't want to see a show our hands, because it'll, I don't want to be sad, but how many of you are here just because? Just because your parents brought you, just because it's just the time that I get to catch up with friends, or it's just because, paid by the numbers, it's my routine, it's what I do. Uh, I wonder, I wonder. And so here, in verse 42, when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up, according to custom. So again, they've gone up, just like they have every other year, and Jesus was 12. Now why, why mention Jesus was 12? Anyone have any idea? Does anyone know what happens at the age of 13, for anyone who's Jewish? Uh, they would have this, um, like the whole priest guy, He would come and like, uh, not baptize them, but uh, just say, they would have to recite this uh, Hebrew thing, and then say it's all about that's right you're absolutely right so it's something called the bar mitzvah and it's uh, and for girls it's called the bat mitzvah and what it is is it's your right of entry to manhood or womanhood because when you 're a Jewish person you it's not when you 're 18 that you become a man or a woman it's when you're 13 hands up if you ever want to you wanted to be in that situation well some of you i'm sure have uh, already felt that way but anyway so um The whole thing is that Jesus was 12. He's still a boy. He's still a boy. He's not gone through this rite of passage yet, right? And as a boy, what do you do when you're a boy? What do do the Sunday school kids do? They're with mom and dad all the time, right? They're with mom and dad all the time. They're dependent on mom and dad all the time, right? And so uh, Jesus was 12. And this is what happened in verse 43. When the feast was ended, um, and as they were returning... The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. All right, so this kid, he's a kid. This is boy Jesus, child. He's supposed to follow his parents wherever they go. And he's decided, you know what? I'm going to stay behind. I'm going to stay behind here. And it would have been a week that they would have stayed in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. So just picture this again. You're Mary, you're Joseph, and you've just left Jerusalem. It's a very crowded city. It's during Passover. There would have been about, you know, uh, probably about 50,000 people in a very small area. And you've traveled with all your family and your friends. And, and back in those days, just as I'm sure many of you guys' families, very large families, yeah, you're going to have seven, eight, nine, ten brothers or sisters, etc. And so you're all traveling together, and then you're gone, and the mum and dad, Joseph and Mary, they're like, oh yeah, Jesus is probably just hanging out with family or whatever, let's just go, let's go, come on. Like, they're getting caught up in the busyness, and the hustle and the bustle, we're going to beat the crowd. before. Has anyone's dad or mum ever kind of been like, quick, let's leave, let's leave early so that we can beat the crowd or whatever else? You guys, have you ever, no? I'll tell you a story. So when, when I was a kid, I went to a football game. I an AFL game and that was a very new experience for me because I'm not Aussie. Um, and what happened was uh, we went to this football game and we went with a bunch of my Aussie friends. And their dad took us. And the team was losing, their team was losing. I didn't care, I was just there to hang out with my friends. And their team was losing, and I looked, uh, and I was kind of into the game, because it was a little bit close, and it was just exciting, it was exciting to be there, and uh, I was like 10. And then what happened was, uh, because their team was losing, and it was about to fin- the game was about to finish, the dad just like grabbed his son and like, pointed to me, and was like, let's get out of here, we've got to beat the, the traffic, I'm like, well, with the games... The game's still going. They're like, we're losing. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Let's go. And so we, we went and, and we left. So this was Mary and Joseph. They're in uh, Jerusalem. It's crowded. It's packed. And Joseph and Mary, they just want to get out of there. It's been a long trip. They just want to, they're keen to get home. Probably would have taken them a few days to get home anyway. And they're like, oh, whatever. Jesus, Jesus will just be with one of the other family members. He'll just be hanging around. He'll be okay. He'll be okay. It's fine. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Have you guys ever been caught up in the busyness of life, of your own problems, uh, your own situations? Uh, have you ever been in a situation where, you know, you know you should be focusing on Jesus, but what, what's ended up happening is you've just been focusing on all the stuff that's going on in your life. And you're just kind of like, I know what I need to do. I just need to do it. I need to get through it. It's fine. Whatever. Jesus is, Jesus is with me. He's fine. He's with me. He's okay. Have you ever been in that situation before? And then we read this, verse 45. So after a day of traveling, they didn't find him. So what did they do? They returned back a day's journey back to Jerusalem and they searched for him. Three days later, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. We can go our whole lives thinking that Jesus is with us. And then one day you turn around and you realize, wow, he's not here at all. I've been going my whole life and he's not been around. Have you ever been in an environment where with friends, maybe in a relationship, maybe at a party, maybe in a test, maybe uh, taking a subject um, or thinking about a career path? And you'd be like, "Jesus will be with me. It's okay. I'll, it'll be fine. He's with me. He's God. He's, he's always with me." And then you turn around, and things start to fall apart. The relationship goes bad. People start. You start getting alienated or isolated. Friends leave you. You find yourself failing and struggling. You got anxiety. You got depression. You don't know why the situation is not turning out the way that you would have hoped or expected. You know what? Maybe Jesus wasn't there. Maybe Jesus was back at Jerusalem. Maybe he wanted to be in one place and you wanted to be somewhere else. And maybe you completely missed him. You've been traveling a full day without even knowing that he's not there. Guys, it's destructive when we live our lives without God. It's okay. all alright. It's destructive when we live our lives without God. It's destructive when we assume that God blesses us. It's destructive when we assume that God blesses us. When he has it. When he's not even there. Don't make the mistake. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God is with you. When he might be trying desperately to get you to be somewhere else. So Mary and Joseph. Three days and one day of journeying later. They finally find Jesus in a very strange place. The temple. Can anyone tell me anything about the temple? John. Well, it was actually a synagogue. Maybe, yes. Was a synagogue. Yes. It uh, was just somewhere like a church. Here, or pray do God brings. Yeah, absolutely right. Do you know, church, modern day churches today, we kind of miss the point of the temple. If you're going to view the temple as just like a church... You missed the point a little bit. The best analogy I think I've ever heard about the temple is that it's like a, a toilet, a bathroom. Let me explain. You only use the bathroom for one reason, right? The toilet. You only use it for one reason. You're not going to go to the toilet and drink from it, right? You're not going to go uh, you know, have a bit of a shower in the toilet, are you? No. You only go there for one thing and one thing only. And that is... To do your business, number one, number two, maybe a bit of both. And then you're out of there, right? Now, this is what the temple is like. There's only one reason you go. No other reason. And that is to meet with God. That is to be close to God. You know, church, we are the church, right? We walk out and we are the church. So we, it's not really the same. It's similar, but it's not the same. But the temple for these people, this was like heaven and earth overlapping itself. This is where God lived. This is where God was. And the temple, especially in Jerusalem... Um, This was a structure that was magnificent, that was beautiful, first built by Solomon, then destroyed, and then rebuilt by, if you guys have ever heard of Ezra and Nehemiah, you'll read the story about the rebuilding of the temple there. And so this was a beautiful, magnificent, wonderful structure, and this was the structure where God called home, or where the Israelite people, they would look at this place and say, this is God's place, if I'm going into the temple... This very special, sacred thing. And this is where God is. So where do they find Jesus? He's in the temple. He's where heaven and earth meet and overlap. He's where his dad is, where his father is. And this is what what happens. Um, So he's sitting there and he's talking to all the rabbis and the priests and all this kind of stuff. And uh, in verse 47, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers as he spoke to these adults. Like these people would have been in their 50s, 60s, maybe older. Um, and these people would have devoted their whole lives to <coughs> studying the Bible. And so Jesus is just sitting there. He's a 12-year-old boy. Yeah, John, did you want to say that? Rabbis, I see the rabbis that they like to do things differently than the, the normal... Uh, Priests? And the normal way sure. it's a very good question. I'll, I'll a rain check. We'll talk about it afterwards. Is that okay? Yeah? Okay. So Jesus is sitting there and he's with these people and he's talking with them about the Bible. And everyone is amazed. They're looking at him. And guess what? Mary and Joseph, they're also amazed. But for a completely different re- reason. Let's have a look. Uh, When his parents saw him, they were astonished. They were amazed. And his mother said to him, Jesus, you're so smart and I'm proud of you. And look at you go. You you know the Bible just as well as these old men. Or Jesus, oh, you scared us. But thank God you're in God's house. And uh, duh, I should have thought of it early. Or Jesus, oh, I love you. Thank you. Come, 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 come with us. No, no, she didn't say any of that. What she said was, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. She's, she freaks out at Jesus. Have you guys ever had a tantrum in like a supermarket maybe when you were really, really little and your parents, they just like pulled you and they're like, come on, let's go. Or you've been lost and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, your parents find you and then they're like, don't ever do that again. No, no, no. Have you ever been in that situation before? Okay, well, I have. It's pretty terrifying. It's pretty bad. Um, and it's terrifying to be lost as it is. But, uh, but this is exactly what happens to Jesus. Mom and dad... Furious, where were you? How could you do this to us? We've been searching for four days for you. Where were you? Why didn't you come? And then Jesus does something, as He, as he does always. You read the rest of go. This is just classic Jesus. Have a read. It says this uh, in verse 49. And He said to them, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I was in my Father's house doing my Father's business? Jesus just completely reframes redirects the situation he's like why are you guys like so freaked out like i was here all along didn't you know that i was going to be here all along have you lost jesus do you know where he is do you know where he is in your life do you know where he might have stayed while you kept on plowing ahead wanting to go ahead with what you wanted to do wanting to go ahead with the situation that you thought was going to work out great and you just left him behind. You haven't even noticed yet. Or maybe you've noticed and you're freaking out, not knowing. Oh, God, what's your will? Where are you? How can you, know, draw near to me? Uh, he's where you left him. He's where he would be all along. He's not lost. You're the one that lost him. And he's refocusing their attention, their eyes. And then we get this very beautiful uh, thing afterwards in verse 50. Um, Mary and Joseph didn't understand what he said to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. So he went home. He listened to them. He didn't like chuck a tantrum and like, I'm going to stay here. No, no, he, he was obedient. Um, he put himself because he's faithful. You know, God is faithful no matter what we do in our lives. He loves you all the same. And he's calling for you all the same. And he's waiting for you all the same. And Mary, it says this really weird, wonderful thing. And his mother Mary treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in favor with God and man. There are times, there are times where you're not gonna know what God is doing in your life. There there are times where you're not gonna understand what He wants for you, and you're not gonna understand why you should care. You're not gonna understand why I should care so much about living my life in a way that's holy or pure. Or not going to understand why I shouldn't have that drink or do this thing. um, Or not going to understand why I shouldn't go to this place or hang out with this person. But God will still call you to it, even when you don't understand. And then there's one of two ways that you can go about it. You can either completely reject Him and just go your own way and leave Him behind at the temple. Or you can obey Him. And if you obey Him... What can happen is one of two things. You might still not get it, but you might choose to just treasure it in your heart. Put, tuck it away deep inside your heart. Or you might be like resentful towards God. It's like, you ruined my fun again. My parents and this and that. And why can't I do this? And get all angry and annoyed about the situation. Mary and Joseph could have done that. But Mary here, she treasures these things in her heart. I think Mary told this story, maybe not to Luke, maybe to one of the other apostles who then told it to Luke. I think that Luke is actually getting this story from Mary herself. I think that Mary, in the past few stories of Jesus' birth and uh, what happened in Jerusalem during the Passover, I think these are all her looking back at the life that she had with her son, who was God's son, looking back and saying, I can see it all clicking now. I can see it all making sense and fitting together. And I think that she looks back at it and, and maybe is a little bit embarrassed, but also completely in love with the God who took her through this journey. Um, so we can be like this. We can be like Mary and Joseph. We can think that we know Jesus. We can be so close to him. Mary and Joseph were his parents. We can think that we know him and think that he's with us and think that everything's all great. And then all of a sudden we feel like we lose him. We don't know where he's he's been. And then all of a sudden we find him just where we left him all along. And his challenge to us is, don't you know me? Don't you know where I would be? Don't you know what I would do? Don't you know my heart? Don't you know my heart towards you? And then the challenge after that is, store it in your heart. Let it grow into something that will change you and transform you and make you become more and more like Jesus, yeah? So that's our first story. How are you going? You okay? Alright? Okay. Pardon me. Okay. Let's have a look at our second story. Let's fast forward 21 years, okay, to Luke chapter 19. So this story also takes place around the time of Passover. This story takes place, though, instead of a week after Passover, this story takes place a week before Passover. And it's the last Passover that Jesus will (coughs) ever have with his Uh, disciples or here on earth, full stop. So Jesus is just about to, well, he's just where we're about to read. He's just entered into Jerusalem. Hands up if you know uh, what that day is called, what we call it nowadays as Christians. Yes, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, we call it. Why? Because a whole bunch of people came out and they grabbed a whole bunch of palm leaves and their clothes and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus rode into Jerusalem, back into Jerusalem, same place, Just 21 years into the future, and they rode into Jerusalem and they're laying palm leaves down and they're clothes and they're saying what Hosanna, Hosanna, it's a weird word. Does anyone know what Hosanna means? Thank God for the Savior or praise the Savior, the Savior, the Savior. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, they're recognizing Jesus as someone called the Messiah. Does anyone know what the Messiah is? Very, also very strange word. It's a Greek word. You know, we use, we use all these Christian words and we expect you all to know about it. What's Messiah mean? Uh, the Savior or the forgiver. Exactly. 100%. In fact, the original word means the promised king. <coughs> the promised king. So we've got here, everyone is welcoming Jesus who's coming in on this donkey. And he's just had three years of, of ministry. He's been going around. He's been traveling. Luke has spent the rest of his gospel so far describing and explaining all these crazy things that Jesus has been doing. His miracles, this wonderful stuff that he's been doing. And these cra- like he's been very like... Divisive. He's been very controversial. The, uh, The Pharisees, who are like the religious leaders of the day and the most powerful people in society, they're like butting heads with Jesus. And everyone's like, whoa, what's going on here? But here we've got the people celebrating and rejoicing. They can't wait to see Jesus. Why? Because they think that he is the promised king. And if you're a Jewish person to look towards the Messiah... At this point in time, they would have been waiting about 2,000 years for this promised king. From the very beginning, from Gen- if you look at your Bible from Genesis chapter 1, well, chapter 3, what's happened is that there was the snake that tricked Adam and Eve. And then God promises one day there will be a son of man, a human being, that will come and crush the snake's head, but will be bitten by the snake. And that's the very first time people were introduced to this idea of someone who would come and confront evil and turn the world back to the Garden of Eden, back to perfect paradise. And then as the story unfolds, Abraham gets chosen and God's like, out of you, I'm going to bless the whole world. Out of your family, you're going to be a blessing to the whole world. And then this guy called David comes along and he's a king and he's got a great name. And what happens is... God says, out of your family, I'm going to bring this promised king who will crush that snake's head, who will turn the world, and his kingdom will never end. It will be a perfect kingdom that will never end. And then we get all these other stories, and you're reading, if you're reading the Old Testament as a Jewish person, you're going, when's this guy coming? When's this guy coming? You can't wait. And it's been thousands of years, and there's been prophecies about him. There's been promise after promise. He'll do this, he'll do this, he'll do this. And everyone's waiting, and if you if you Grew up in that world, you would have been literate. it would have been like your parents saying, One day Superman's coming to town and he's gonna save everyone and he's gonna make life awesome. And, you, and, and it's not a fairy tale, this was something that they 100% believed. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes onto the scene and they all look at Jesus. You know what they say? This is it, this is the guy. 2,000 plus years in the making. We've been waiting our whole lives. Our generations of family upon family upon family have been waiting for this one person. And he's here. And they're convinced of it. They're convinced. And this is where Luke drops us. And then we get just after that, just after that, we get this story. In uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 41. When Jesus drew near to the city of Jerusalem, he wept over it. When Jesus draws near to the city that is celebrating his arrival, the first thing that he does as he walks, he goes through that crowd, and he sees Jerusalem in front of him, is he cries. This is one of the two only times in, in, the, in the Bible that's recorded that Jesus cries. And cry here is not just like a tear just trickles down <throat> his eye, and it's just very like, you know, no, no, it's weeping, it's... The tears are pouring out from his eyes. It's uncontrollable uh, crying. And Jesus does this just after people have celebrated, celebrated him. I wonder why. Well, because Jesus knew how the story was going to play out. He knew that literally within seven days, what was going to happen was these people who were celebrating him and other people who weren't, namely the Pharisees and the people who were actually kind of scheming to kill him, that they were going to arrest him. That they were going to torture him. And then they were going to hang him up naked on a cross uh, for the whole world to look at. um, And he would suffocate to death. He knew this was coming. And you know what Jesus thought about that situation? Jesus thought about this situation as this is what it looks like for the Messiah, for the king who was promised. This is what it looks like for the Messiah to come in glory. In fact... Uh, in, in, as the time comes, Jesus repeatedly mentions the word glory in relationship to what he's about to do on the cross. And he, he refers to what he's about to do and how he's going to die as the glory of God coming to earth. So Jesus is looking to this act, as horrible as it is, and he's saying, this is the act that the Messiah has to do. This is the thing that he came all along to do. And that's not why he's crying. Let's have a read why he's crying. Verse 42. He says, Would that you, even you, had known that on this day the things that make for peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. He's looking at this city and the people who are in it and what they're about to do to him, and he cries for them. He cries for them because he knows that what they're about to do to him is going to be something that will deeply harm them. It will be a mark that they carry. And it is a mark that the people who were involved with Christ's death do carry. And only by the grace of God did some of them overcome the shame that came from it. But he goes on to say this in verse 43. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you. And surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And he's saying there are consequences for this action. He says that for everyone who rejects him, and he says this with tears in his eyes and a broken heart, for everyone who (coughs) rejects him, the judgment and the pain is coming. And what he's actually referring to here is that he's making a prophecy 40 years later, what would happen, or 39 years later, what would happen is the city of Jerusalem would be attacked by the Romans, and the temple that he spent as a child, that he's about to return to now in the story, that temple would be completely destroyed. When we... Yeah, jump. Then how did the Romans then, in the future, become Christians
1: and claim big leaders and stuff? Very good question. That, that took 300 years. Well... A,
0: Isn't that a is- it's true. Yes, that is. Yeah, we'll talk about it in our in our discussion afterwards. It's a very good question. But yeah, so what's happening in this situation is that Jesus is looking at these people and he's crying over them and he's saying he's making a prophetic statement that the city will be destroyed. And he's saying that the city is directly going to be destroyed as an act of judgment by God for them missing him. They're missing him completely. This Messiah 2,000 years plus that they've been waiting and hungry for him. And they're about to kill him. They're about to put him to death. And Jesus is weeping about it. But he's also speaking to us right now as well. He's not just talking to them. And what he's saying to us is saying, be careful, be careful. Don't reject him. Because you see, yes, this was the Messiah that was promised to the Jewish people. But this was also the creator who created the world. And he entered our world And we as human beings, his creation put him to death. And he's your saviour. He's someone who died on the cross for you to to completely embrace you and envelop you with love and to draw you in. And you can reject him. And he's saying, be careful, with tears in his eyes, he's saying, be careful, don't miss me. Don't miss the time that you have now to respond to him. And it says finally uh, at the end of verse 44... Um, They will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Do you know the time of your visitation? Do you know that Jesus says that he's here? you know that he says he's right here in this room? When two or three are gathered in his name, he'll be there in the midst. Do you know that for literally thousands of years he has been working through history to this very moment you know that god says he knows you by name and he loves you and he knows every hair he's numbered every hair on your head do you know that his plan and his will for your life is better and greater than anything you could ever come up with yourself any relationship you want to be in any job you want to do any party you want to go to any any feeling you want to feel he's greater than all of that and that he wants to show you how great he is that he loves you do you know that he cries when he sees you walking off without him. He cries when he sees you rejecting him and choosing another way. You know that it cost him his very life to buy you your freedom and to buy you a chance to come to love him. So are you gonna miss, are you gonna miss him? Are you gonna miss him? Have you already missed him? Have you thought that you've been walking with him all along but you've left him behind and it's gonna take you a day or two to realize that you've left him behind? What's going on? Let's bow our head and close our eyes. And I'm going to challenge you guys as we close now to actually respond to God. And this response, it's between you and Him. It's nothing to do with the people around you. And just for the sake of other people, close your eyes, bow your head, so everyone knows that they can use this time to respond. What, where is he in your life? Some of you here, as you're going to reflect and pray and use this time to talk to God, you're going to be like, he's walking next to me right now. And I love him and he loves me and I know exactly what it feels to be close with him. And that is something that we should be so thankful about. And remember this, treasure it in your heart. Treasure the little steps that it took along the way for you to realize what it means to be close to Him. Thank God for that. And hold on to it. Never lose your first love. Some of us, we don't know where He is. You've lost Him. You have no idea where He is. And what He's telling you tonight is, He is exactly where He would be. He's not missing. He's in your Bible. He's in the conversation with your youth leader or with the Christian person that you love and who loves you. He's in the quiet moments when you pray to him and when you choose to put everything else aside and put him first. He's in those moments where you decide not my will be done, but your will be done. And he's telling you, I'm right there. Just come come find me there. Stop doing it your way. Come find me there. For some of you, you know where he is. You know that that's exactly where he is. But you don't want to find him. And for you, Jesus is crying. He's bawling his eyes out. Not because he died and he's sad about that. But because he doesn't want you to miss out on the joy that he has in store for you. Not just joy, but avoid what it is to live a life without him because that that is the greatest tragedy of all in God's eyes that is the thing that drives him to crying so talk to him now don't waste this opportunity talk to him be honest with him even if it's I don't know what I should be doing God even if it's I don't really want you but I kind of want to want you even if it's I'm sorry forgive me even if it's thank you for what you've done and for who you are. Whatever you want to say to him, just say to him. So dear Lord, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come before you. Thank you Lord that you promised to be here. Thank you Lord that you're holding your hand out for us and you're saying you love us and you want to call us into something great. Help us not miss you Lord, help us not forget you, help us not to find you. We want not only to to not miss you, Lord, but we want to be deeply in love and make the relationship, relationship strong with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.